And welcome to Catholics Coast to Coast, where we get to, in the midst of our Advent season, really get a deeper understanding of who God is and how He can define that, and also celebrate Christmas together. I'm Ace McKay, your host, where each and every week we like to take a look at what's happening in conversations at Podcast Central when you go to EWTN.com slash radio. You get to be encouraged and also take these with you as you travel through the Christmas holidays. So to jumpstart into our Advent season, Catholic Radio Review with the holiday reflections, giving the fact that many of us already in the midst of overwhelming feelings for this year's Christmas and now offering inspiration and some practical advice for celebrating the holidays in a meaningful, hope-filled way. This is Catholic Review on this week's Catholics Coast to coast. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek. With the holidays upon us and all the many expectations that come with them, many people can feel overwhelmed at this time of the year. Paul Jarzembowski offers inspiration and some practical advice for celebrating the holidays in a meaningful, hope-filled way. Paul is the author of a newly released book from Paulus Press, Hope for the Holidays, Finding Light at the Darkest Time of the Year. Paul serves as Associate Director for Laity with the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops and is a parishioner of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Crofton. Here's our interview with Paul Jarzembowski. Paul, the subtitle of your book is Finding Light at the Darkest Time of the Year, and it's not something I've reflected a lot on, but this time of the year does come with a lot of darkness. Obviously, the days are shorter, so we all experience that that physical darkness, but even metaphorically in the holidays at this time of the year, we have that awareness of the passage of time and the coming of death. And we see that in the secular holidays like Halloween or even Veterans Day, but it's also reflected in the liturgical calendar with All Souls Day and All Saints Day and even the readings of the church. In a way, it's almost like we need to experience a bit of that of that kind of darkness to experience the light. And, and this all leads to what you call wintering. Could you explain what wintering is and how we all experience that at some point in our life? Yeah. Well, thank you very much for having me. Uh, wintering to me is this time where uh, we look a little more, we're more intro, introverted, or I should say we where there's an introversion of how we look at, at faith, how we look at life. Um, we're, you know, there's, there's a more of a consciousness that we are, uh, you know, that, that there's a sense of, of loss of the light, but also um, there's a heaviness that sometimes comes with a lot of the pressures and anxieties. Um, you know, there's the, there's seasonal, seasonal depression that certainly comes part of this, but uh, as we reflect, especially on our mortality, uh, you know, this is uh, as as November moves into December. Uh, you know, the, the the holidays and the and the moments of commemoration of the dead 
um, and, uh, you know, the readings that kind of speak of the end times. So that that wintering really kind of a lot uh, is a time that we uh, often kind of look within uh, at kind of assessing where we've been through the past year, assessing our mortality, uh, kind of understanding our frailties um, and things like that. So it, it does happen throughout our lives. And I think in the winter season, when things get darker, that wintering process becomes even more amplified. And there's things that people are going through that others might not know about as well, the sense of loss or, or longing for yeah. things that can't be attained. Could you, could you talk about that? Yeah, the holidays, in some respects, raise up the memories of those who we have lost, um, you know, whether it is at a intentional commemoration like All Souls or or Veterans Day, or um, or if it's just memories of Thanksgivings and Christmases and New Years that we had spent with uh, with family, with friends that have passed, and so sometimes at the, around the holidays, that the grief and the nostalgia can be almost crippling for some people um, because it there there's a reminder that the joy of the past um, it. it there's a there's a curiosity whether or not it can happen again, and so there's a there's a darkness that also is in that grief. And many of these uh, situations that people go through are often hidden. We don't, they're not, people don't see them on the outside nearly as much. But it's the thing that we do in in the silence of our hearts, where we may be grieving, we may be experiencing, um, you know, some mental health issues that are not necessarily visible to others, and so that. The holidays sometimes uh, conjure that conjures that up a little bit and adds a little bit to the to that darkness. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I guess I should also say I'm um, not really saying that it, it, you know you you definitely have to experience the darkness to experience the light, but more often than not, the darkness is very just part of life. And I think it's just admitting and uh, accepting the fact that that uh, we have a the, our life is full of both desolations and consolations. One of the interesting things that you pointed out in your book is that across cultures around the world, there are more festivals at harvest time than they are at springtime, which points to some kind of need to band together to get through the darkness as the sunlight phase. Could, could you talk about that? I found it very fascinating when you look at the number of, like even in ancient cultures, the number of solstice festivals focused around the 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 dark season in the northern hemisphere it's usually in november december in the southern hemisphere it's usually around may or june um but it, it's it's fascinating that that as you look at historians look at where the biggest festivals are they're usually northern hemisphere or southern hemisphere always connected around the winter solstice uh now we in the north know it around the the december time frame but i kind of like to think that humanity is is uh, since its dawn has been yearning to fight against the darkness, um, physical darkness, interior darkness, spiritual darkness, and uh, it, that that the the notion of coming together to to kind of combat that, um, and that the light ultimately comes from community. It comes from this communion that we have. Um, at, when when the Christian community came along, it, we understood it as Jesus Christ. Uh, and and that we really understood that that is the, the ultimate light, and and that the community formed around Jesus Christ can 
had break the darkness greater than anything. And so it was a very, that, that to me is just very fascinating and it fits the pattern that humanity has been doing since the dawn of time in both the Northern and Southern hemispheres. Um, we're a little bit luckier in the North uh, that, that our, that Christmas lines up with our winter solstice <laughs> in our, in our darkest time. Um, but, uh, but still there is that, that, that just that idea that we as a, as a human species uh, are constantly looking to fight against the darkness. When you talk about hope, what is hope? I mean, from a secular point of view, it's almost like this magical yearning for something to, to make something happen or, or wishing, but there's also a the theological definition of hope. But what, what is hope? So the, for Christians, for us, you know, we are, I mean, we have a, a faith that's grounded in hope. I mean, without the resurrection, we wouldn't be Christians. You know, the, the resurrection, the ultimate hope that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, that, that there was death and then there was resurrection. So for, so the ultimate definition of hope is, is Christ. And, and that example that we see that, that we can see in our own lives that every, every cross is just a, a, an avenue to a resurrection and that for so hope uh, as i see it and i think as the church understands it is that there it, that god always has something greater on the horizon for us no matter our darkest days there is always something greater and we you know if you life is full of desolations and consolations moments where there is no hope and then consolations result from that and the ultimate consolation that we will have in our life is the is a union with god and so as i like to think there's always an upswing that's waiting for us um no matter how down the downswing is god always promises an upswing including the last upswing we will ever experience which is life with the lord in heaven so um so hope is always possible and i think part of the reason i really wanted to raise it up is because at this dark time of year, you know, uh, we can feel very hopeless. Even those of us who are active in our faith can feel hopeless. And so I wanted to write this as a reminder that um, that this is the season where we, we can find it, but not to find it in some shallow, hollow, inauthentic way, but really kind of going back to that reason for the season, if I can use a phrase, uh, that the ultimate hope is is in Christ, and that there's always something greater just around the corner. I think there's even a lack of hope in the wider culture. If you just look at the state of the tensions in our country, in our church across the board, there's there's this sense of a lack of hope. I think. Yeah, it people can feel defeated and defeatist, and you know, nihilistic and. Uh, feeling like this is the, there's a lot of catastrophizing. This is the worst ever. Uh, and it can really calcify ourselves. Um, we think we kind of become suspicious of one another because we don't hope that we don't have hope in each other in the Christ that lives within each other. So we, we grow suspicious of each other. So, um, and I'm not to say that we have to be Pollyanna about everything, but certainly the opposite extreme is which is where we often are in our wider culture, 
Um, and yeah, there's there's a lot of evidence pointing to, yeah, be hopeless. There's wars, there's polarization, there's the economy, the, the poverty, uh, name the issue. Yeah, there's a lot of evidence to point that direction. But we as people of faith know that the evidence on the other side that God delivers, and he's had a history of delivering for us from the from the from the dawn of creation, God has always delivered. So we have to kind of reconnect with that hope that uh that God has for us and, and not be succumbed to you know the, the the defeatism that I think is very prevalent in our culture today. Mm-hmm. You structure your book around a lot of the themes from A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, and it's obvious that you have a great love for that work. Uh, where, where, when were you first exposed to that book, and why did you choose to structure your book around those kinds of themes? I'll be honest, and the first exposure I had to the story was really through the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, growing up, you know, whether it's Mickey's Christmas Carol or uh, the Muppets Christmas Carol, um, or, you know, as I grew into other versions that I would see through the years. So the movies really, uh, and the television adaptations really brought me into the story. And I just, it's always been a favorite, uh, annual tradition to pull that out. Um, it's only recently that I really discovered the book and, and, and the book is even more in depth than this, those those televised or adaptations. So, um, so yeah, I, I found that to be something that I gravitated towards, and it, it gives me hope each year because um, how often I find myself in Scrooge's place at the beginning, the beginning Scrooge, and uh, and so that story is one of one of a of a hopeless individual, and people seeing a lot of hopelessness in him, moving toward a, a person of great hope. And that people can find hope in his actions by the end. So it's a great story that I found as I was reflecting on this theme. Uh, it, it seemed to me to be the perfect um, complementary piece to to use as a, and it's also a great entry point for people who may not be. And I wrote this not only for people of of faith, but people who don't have as much faith. And I knew that that would be an easy entry point for some people to kind of get behind uh, some of these themes that might make it more palatable for. For those who may be on the margins or on the peripheries of our communities. One of the great things you did in this book is raise the question of what if our own Jacob Marley would come back to us and review our lives to this point? Uh, what, what will we see? And it's, it's almost like an examination of conscience. Yeah, I will say, um, you know, you'll also find in there the Ignatian examine. Desolation and consolation. My my Jesuit roots uh, are certainly on display as I as I wrote this book. So, uh, so a very you know uh, my my Jesuit educators would be proud to know that uh, I'm I'm sharing some of the traditions that that Saint Ignatius has for our church. Well, we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we'll dig into some of the practical things that Paul raises for ways that we can cultivate a sense of hope in our lives. Our guest today is Paul Jarzembowski. He is the author of a new book called Hope for the Holidays, Finding Light at the Darkest Time of the Year. And he's also a parishioner of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Crofton. I'm George Matisek. You're listening to Catholic Review Radio. We'll be back in a moment. I have been a school sister of Notre Dame for 72 years. Most senior Catholic sisters, brothers, and religious order priests serve for years with little pay. I always taught the primary grades, and I loved it. 
Today, hundreds of religious communities lack retirement funds. Your gift to the Retirement Fund for Religious helps provide medications and care. Please give to those who have given a lifetime. Thank you, and God bless you a hundredfold. Donate at your local parish. Remember the spirit of your parish community, the power of worshiping together, the warmth of friends new and old who share your faith. Join us for Mass this weekend. Visit archbelt.org to find a Catholic parish near you. Feel the joy. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek. Our guest today is Paul Jarzembowski. He is the author of a new book called Hope for the Holidays, Finding Light at the Darkest Time of the Year. Paul, what are some of the ways that people can actually go about cultivating a sense of hope in their lives? I would say the first step um, is the first step that um, uh, in, in my telling of the story that's kind of grounded in A Christmas Carol, um, I kind of think of Scrooge kind of caught up in his in his very uh, alone in his chamber, locked in as Jacob Marley visits him. And it was only in the silence that that he was able to move forward in the journey. And I often say that that for us is a great first step. Um, it, so a very practical thing is finding moments for silence in our day, uh, that practicing silence, um, the holiday season is a very noisy season at times. And, you know, <laughs> we've got everything coming at us. We've got songs, we've got movies, we've got merriment, we've got all kinds of things. And they're wonderful. And even in church, we have so we have an Advent this and Advent that, and, and we've got this celebration and that. And there can be a lot of noise in our, even in our personal lives, not to mention our work lives, um, our studies, um, our personal family lives, a lot of noise. So the first practical thing to kind of move into any of these steps is just really to, to, to carve out moments of silence. And when someone says, well, I don't have time for silence, uh, my argument would be that God graces us. We, we, can, if we, we admit to ourselves, God graces us with these moments that we could use, such as the drive into the office, for instance. If, you're, if you've got a commute of five minutes or, or 50 minutes uh, or, or whatever length it is, that to use that time and to turn off the radio, uh, to turn to turn turn down the noise, even in our own heads, and just to use that, for instance, on a on a daily basis, for moments of silence. And there could be other times throughout the uh, throughout the holiday seasons that we can do this as well. Uh, finding a sacred space to do that is is very helpful. But even if that doesn't isn't possible, throughout our day, finding time for silence that's just the first step. There's many other steps, but I think the first step is silence. Mm. I know during Lent, a lot of people do social media fast. And, mm-hmm. and if you think about it, I know how much time I spend just scrolling, looking at news stories and stuff. If, if you take away that time, you've got an hour or two to, where you could <laughs> devote to reflection and silence. Right. And it doesn't have to be uh, a planned thing. And it doesn't have to be even long. If, if, if five minutes of silence is what you can start with, five minutes is fine. But kind of creating a new discipline for ourselves in the holiday season, that could be a very practical way. And in that silence, God will start speaking to us. Uh, And that's where we can start finding that hope. But sometimes it has to start by us stopping. Hmm. You talk about the power of nostalgia in your book Mm -hmm. as also a way of 
not only cultivating hope, but looking back on the past, uh, what are some of the ways people can do that practically? Yeah, the holidays, especially around Christmas, you know, because of those memories that sometimes can cause some bittersweetness, um, remembrances of people who have passed. I found that, again, using silence perhaps as a launch board, um, taking out of old photo albums, or if you are on social media, scrolling back farther and farther and farther into the past of your social media account and reflecting on those moments in the past and reflecting on them in a sense of gratitude. And in that, perhaps even finding some some roots, some cultural roots that maybe are part of our story that we may have not done in a while, we may have forgotten, or maybe we didn't learn as much, such as a favorite food or a favorite tradition, whether it's a, a domestic tradition in our homes uh, or whether it's a, it's a religious tradition, um, but something that's maybe connected to our ethnic or racial culture, um, kind of rediscovering that and maybe using this holiday season as an opportunity to to resurrect it and to to find a new place for it in our lives. Um, it it connects us back to our ancestors in faith, um, whether that ancestor is our grandparents, our 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 culture from from Europe or from Africa or from Asia, wherever we're from. Uh, or perhaps it it comes from just something that is special to us in in who we are in our lives. Uh, maybe something that we connect with our friends or or loved ones. Uh, maybe as recently as a few years ago. So I think finding time to do that, and, and in that we find again a sense of hope because again when we see when we look at our past, we see God's handiwork in our past, and we see that our lives in the past. Uh, have been also occasions where hope has been fulfilled, whether it was as simple as um, maybe uh, a project that we got finished and we accomplished because we didn't know if it ever would accomplish, or maybe it was a major hope in our lives, such as, you know, we fell in love and we hoped that that would end in marriage, and it did. We longed for a family and God provided. We looked for a job or a career or a direction in our life, and there God was giving that to us. There was a healing that needed to happen, and it did. So we, when, we, when we look back at our nostalgia, we also look back at those moments when God graced us with hope in the past. And it gives us the confidence to know that looking forward, whatever catastrophe, whatever issue that we're going through at this moment, that God has a great track record and we know it in our lives. And we have more of a confidence that we can put our hope in God this time. I know that's a little bit of a of a of a technique for a doubting Thomas, perhaps, that needs to see the hope in the past to understand that hope is possible in the future. But that's what sometimes looking to our past does for us, is it remind us that God has been gracing to us all throughout our lives and all throughout our family story. Yeah, I think it's so important to hold on to those ethnic traditions, even if you don't regularly practice them, to rediscover them. Mm -hmm. uh, in our family, on the Czech, my father's side is Czech. So every Christmas in Easter, we always make kolachki, or I, I make kolachki, which is a Czech cookie, and then uh, a Czech pastry. And then we also, on the Polish side of the family, we make make the pierogi, we do the aplatki, and then we do the chalk blessing on on uh, three King, three Kings Day <laughs> Epiphany. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So those are, and with a name like Jarzembowski, I know you you also have some of those traditions in your family. Absolutely, it was great. I 
I was even recalling, I call in the book, the, the tradition that my grandparents would have an upside down Christmas tree hanging in the basement on Christmas day. And I didn't, I, I just thought they were weird. But then the more I, again, when I did my own exploration of my story, I discovered there's a history to that. And that, that upside down Christmas tree has roots in Poland. And that's what my grandparents were doing. They weren't just being strange people who didn't know how to hang, how to put up a Christmas tree, but that, that is a, that was a tradition that, that went back centuries. And, uh, and it was great to relearn. And then by me relearning, it was a chance for me to feel in a sense of solidarity, like I was walking through those holiday memories with my grandparents uh, as, you know, as fellow travelers. And it, and they've passed on since, but it gave me a, a renewed sense of love and, and purpose and, and connection to my roots. We have about a minute left. Uh, you talk a lot about movies, Christmas movies in this book. Is there one single favorite of yours that kind of kind of inspires hope? Um, for me, uh, White Christmas, um, and I, you know, it's it's a, uh, and I guess for me, the hope that it kind of comes in is that, uh, you know, the the story. I don't want to give away too much for spoilers for those who haven't seen this this sixty some year old movie, <laughs> um, but it's a um, it's a story where the memories of our of those who inspire us are mentor figures that we can then honor our mentors uh, and we have the ability to do that. And um, and so for me that I keep thinking to myself, all the people in my life who have been my teachers and who have kind of guided and directed me, kind of like the general directed Bing Crosby or whatever their names are in the movie. Um, but it it causes me to go back to those kinds of experiences. And uh, and again, that gives me gives me some hope that it's possible and who can I then mentor for the next generation. Great. Well, our guest today has been Paul Jarzembowski. He is the author of Hope for the Holidays, Finding Light at the Darkest Time of the Year. And he's also a prisoner of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Crofton. And you will be giving a special presentation at your home parish. Uh, could you tell us about that? That's going to be on St. Nicholas Day, uh, December 6th. Yeah, on St. Nick's Day, uh, December 6th in the evening, 7 p.m. at St. Elizabeth Seton and Crofton. Um, I'll be kind of unpacking, doing a little bit of this, but in a more uh, reflective way uh, so that people can can take the moment to reflect on their uh, on their hopes and hopefully find re kind of renew their hope as they kind of get ready towards for Advent and Christmas. And people could get your book there and, and where else could they get your book? They can get my book there. They can get it online at paulistpress.com, their favorite online bookseller. Um, even the Barnes and Noble in Annapolis will be uh, <laughs> will be uh, stocking it this year. Great. Well, Paul, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, becoming a hopeaholic during the Advent season, that is the Catholic Review. As we continue Advent, don't forget you can catch up on previous or future episodes when you go to Catholic Radio Review section at EWTN.com slash radio. Easy to find, and we'll look forward to taking that with us as we travel for the holidays. I'm Ace McCain. This is Catholics Coast to Coast, and we're going to take a quick break. But when we return, we're going to continue our Advent reflections as maybe a little shopping is something you've been trying to conquer, and it's on everyone's mind. Father Joseph, Lauren, and Daniel helping us to discuss how shopping for material goods can impact our spiritual life and for the positive and negative within that. So we'll do that with Restless coming up next on Catholics Coast to Coast. If it's central to the faith, 
You can find it on EWTN Podcast Central, featuring the best of EWTN Radio, as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free. The destination for great Catholic audio programming is EWTN Podcast Central. It's like podcast heaven. Visit EWTN.com slash radio slash podcasts today. Welcome back to Restless. My name is Father Joseph Gill, priest of the Diocese of Bridgeport, Connecticut. And you've joined Lauren and Daniel as together we restlessly seek the face of Christ in today's crazy mixed up world. You guys are here, so clearly you're not out shopping. I will not be participating. You're not, no? What about you, Lauren? Are you a Black Friday shopper? I have never been a Black Friday shopper. No, me neither. But uh, no, every Black Friday, usually I uh, I have a little sports day for some of the fathers and sons from Cardinal Kong. We get together and just play some football. And um, yeah, so I'm going to be heading up to Ridgefield shortly to go and have that little sports day. Should be a lot of fun. Should be good weather, God willing. Do you I'm use a public park or, or a playing field? Of uh, a we use a public park or, or a school if it's, uh, if it's raining. Hmm. But um, but yeah, I think I think the Black Friday stuff is absolutely insane. I mean, what do you guys think? Because like, they start sometimes like, whole, like, like Thanksgiving night. They do indeed. You see uh, the videos at least, but I have seen it on the highway. I've never participated, but driving down 95, you know, you go by Walmart when Stratford or so, and, and you can see on the highway, all the parking lot filled, filled, filled up on Thursday, on Thanksgiving night. If you're coming back from say, seeing family in Eastern Connecticut, as I tend to do. Yeah. So it starts early. Which is amazing because today everybody shops online, right? I mean, what percentage of your shopping do you think you do online versus in person? Um... It depends, I guess, what I'm buying. I, mm. I do both. Um, I'm you not like to try a, on the clothes. Well, yeah, but I have bought clothing online too now. Um, I typically don't have patience for shopping for clothing in the store. Mm. Like I just tire out immediately a lot of the time. What tires you out? The, the sales clerks or <laughs> just everything? I don't want to be in the store. I don't want to go through looking for things. Right. I like to buy things that are on sale, so that takes more time, right? Like finding something that's actually placed in the right spot, whether when they like, you know, organized by size. Um, yeah. So I, I often am, I don't have the energy for it often, but clothing generally, yes, in the store. I don't do it very often either. Yeah. This may sound totally priggish, mm-hmm. but, I, but it's for, for me, it's certainly true. I get like almost like physically nauseated just by being around so much, uh, so much like worldliness when you walk into a store. It's just everything is like, it's just so consumerist. And it just, to me, I don't know. And it, of course, never bothered me. But as I advanced in spiritual life, I was like, this is so shallow, mm. just so empty. I don't know. When so, you say stored, though, do you mean any kind of store? Uh, when, when you say that, I'm picturing um, like an outlet store, a store at a mall. Yeah. Where stores come in all shapes and sizes. That's true. Yeah. I don't mean like, you know, grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> that, no, that, yeah, not the grocery store. More like, more like, yeah, an outlet store, Target or. Target, sure. Walmart, Target makes me Costco. rage red. Or yeah, or like Macy's or something like that. It's just like everything is to draw you into spending money. That's it. It's the entire purpose. And I don't know. I feel it feels like vapid. You're on another level, Father. <laughs> Maybe, probably than but most I've never people. understood how people can can appreciate that. So yeah, so so now that I mean Christmas is like a month away. Like, do you do you find most of your shopping to be Christmas shopping at this point? I haven't started. No, no, I, I'm very bad at shopping for people. Um, I find it difficult. You know, it's difficult to buy for people. 
Uh, maybe it depends on one's personality, how, how one feels about this, but I'm always worried it won't be a very good gift, which leads me to then delay the process until very late in the game, which only increases anxiety. Yeah. But I found that gift giving, like if you think about a wedding these days, I think there was once upon a time, my understanding is say, when my parents' generation was getting married, you know, there was no internet. So no, there was no registry. And so people simply brought something they thought would be a good gift, is my understanding, right? You didn't just mm. produce a registry as a wedding cup, wedded couple. And in general, the culture, there was more spontaneity, serendipity, uh, creative choice. But now gift giving is often kind of boring because people just send you a link. I want X. You hit the button and they get it. So yeah, I've been buying true. all people's registries recently for weddings. That's true. It's just kind of boring. It's like shopping isn't as interesting. And then though people are so particular today, uh, like with their food, with their clothing, with X Y Z, and you feel like you're never going to satisfy them. So, which I even find with Christmas gifts because yes. like I, you know, <laughs> I always ask my parents, well, "What do you want for Christmas?" And they're like, "Well." If I tell you, it's not going to be a surprise. Like, so surprise us. And I'm like, oh, man, you just made it 10 times harder. <laughs> I, just wanted, you know, I, want, I want to know what you want. But I hear you about, like, the pressure of feeling like you have to get the right gift. And Right, right. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just it's stressful. Yeah. I think there could be some input where there's still some choice, right? Like, I could ask for a serving tray, for instance. Hmm. I could definitely use more. But I don't know what type they're going to get me. Are you what? telling us you Oval? want us to get you a Rectangle? serving tray? Yeah, that's like on my list. If I have an aunt that always asks, what can I get you? Last year I said bowls. Okay, I had no bowls. I was thinking they would become, you know, they would be glass, like three. But instead I got like six and they're silver, but they're also colored. Cool. There's some variety, you know, in what people can shop for and choose for you. But see, that drives me crazy as a recipient because I like to pick my own stuff. Uh. Like I've always felt very uncomfortable, especially when people give me clothes, because I'm like, well, that's nice, but that's not at all what I would have picked or worn. Or do you ever come around and wear it, or um, do you return it? Yeah, like I like a family gave me this really nice, um, nice sweatshirt that has it's from the company Spider, hmm. and has a, has a spider on it, and I am deathly afraid of spiders. Wow. And they it did not took me know a long that. Time. I'm deathly afraid of spiders. But they yeah. did not know that. Um, I, I don't know if they did. I mean, it's really nice. It's a nice sweatshirt. They didn't think of it. And so it took me a long time to get to the point where I'm like, I can wear this thing and not actually like look down and freak myself out because I think there's a giant spider on my chest. Wow. You know? That is a severe case of arachnophobia. It's pretty bad. (laughs) Goodness gracious. That scene from Lord of the Rings with the big spider, I had to close my eyes. Mm. Yeah, I didn't like that scene either. truth. Goodness. I don't like the spider brand either. I think the same thing. Yeah. Why would you have a spider on you? Yeah. I've never heard of the spider brand. It's creepy. It's creepy. Yeah, it looks like a spider. None of us are fans. Nope. Uh, do you? Uh, do either of you um, quickly re-gift uh, gifts, return gifts, or donate gifts? Any of the above? Yes. You just shame. You just uh, without remorse. Shameless. <laughs> I'm not actually saying it. it was without shameless. Without a com- sense of you know no compunction. All of the kids here at Cardinal Kung have eaten re-gifts. <laughs> People give me cookies and pies, and I bring it in. For perishables, that's a no-brainer. But uh, actual gifts that are, you know, not food. But oh, I've, no, I have a gift that too. Fast. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Sometimes the next day. Sometimes the next day. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, there's been moments where that's worked out nicely. Like I got a kind of Lauren-themed girly package thing for my birthday with like a candle and chapstick. And I re-gifted that to someone else's birthday because it was, it was so nice. And I'm like, 
oh, this just solves my problem. I bet they were gifted to someone else. (laughs) (laughs) The cycle continues. Actually, you know what happened? So it came with a chapstick, which was this excellent chapstick. So I took took the chapstick out. I wanted to keep that. I go through them all the time. And I'm on like my fourth day in a row that I forgot chapstick. It is Mm. brutal. But I took that out. I gave it, right? And um, the recipient was like, you didn't have to get me anything. But it was a 30th birthday and there was a big party. So... Then her mom liked it so much that she wanted to know where it came from. Oh, no. So I had a... Oh, shit. Awkward. <laughs> but I found it. I found something. I don't know what I had that said the website, but then I thought, if she looks this up, she may notice something is missing. Oh, <laughs> oh no. and it was like totally Lauren-themed, but I just pulled that part out somehow. I don't okay. know. But yeah, I did. Um, rope, I sweat rope. that one a little bit, but yeah. who knows? As the uh, old occurred. line goes, oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. <laughs> yes, tangled webs just like spider. Just like spiders. Spider gear. That's right. <laughs> Which web. Yeah, and, and part of it too is, you know, I, I try to live a very simple life and I feel like, you know, it's very easy to just accumulate things when people give you gifts and especially gifts that, that are not necessarily like needs, but wants. You know, and it's and you you I've I've gotten better at trying to accept it as knowing that the receiver is doing it out of love, but still th- that's why I often regift is because I'm just like I can't I can't keep filling my house my my room with stuff and especially as a priest you move every five or seven years and the next time I move I'm gonna have a ton of stuff to either throw away or give away or you know or haul with me in my next assignment. You know, um, what you just said reminded me of, a, of an anecdote about the about sort of the spirit in which you receive things. I was once in Rome outside of church talking with a couple uh, after Mass, and a, a homeless man came up, or beggar of some kind came up, and he wanted to give, it was something so sort of silly, like I think it was a notebook. He had these clean, unused notebooks, and he, of course, wanted money, but he was wanted to give something. And the, uh, the, the wife of this couple um, was willing to give him the money throw him a euro or two. But she said, I do not want the notebook. I do not want the notebook. She was very resistant. I'm not going to give the money if you give me the notebook. But he insisted on giving the notebook because to him- Because it's, it's more dignity. More dignity. Yeah. And so she eventually relented, but it was sort of bothering her almost on a level of pride uh, that 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 she would get this thing. Like, I don't want this thing. Like, it, mm. like This thing is, I don't need it. It's silly. Don't give it to me. I'm only giving you the money. Uh, she's a very nice person, but it just bothered her that she'd be getting this thing that to her was a piece of junk. But he, on the other hand, had that perspective, as you just said, that he had a sense of dignity when it was he was giving something and getting something in return. He wasn't just an object of charity. Well, I mean, our Lord said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Right. And so he wanted that, that blessing of, of the, yeah, the knowledge that he had something to contribute to society, something to contribute to the world. That's right. So, so back to shopping, because probably many people are listening to this in their cars as they're driving from uh, you know, one store to another. <laughs> you know, obviously, there's a difference between needs and wants. Right, and shopping for needs is completely legitimate. But when, what do you think shopping for wants is? You know, on the spiritual level, like you know, is it okay to buy yourself a third pair of shoes? Is it okay to buy yourself that thing that you just see and kind of impulse, like, oh, I'd really like to have that, and you kind of reach out and grab it? Is it is that good? Is that bad? Is it neutral? What do you think the line is? I think most people are probably overbuying and having more than what they need. It's just part of the culture, I think, right? Especially with online shopping, it makes things so easy. Um, I personally, I do not fall into that, I wouldn't think. Um, Always just had kind of, this is what I need, right? Like one or two of this type of shoe. Mm -hmm. Like one winter jacket that I like that. There are women with 80 pairs of shoes out there. (laughs) 
Yeah. That I, I mean, I have a good amount of shoes, you know, of different types, but um, I'm not trying to say that I don't, but I don't know. I have three pairs of sneakers right now. That's a lot. That is a lot. But I bought two at the same time and they both fit. And so now I've had them for like at least two years. Yeah. So you'll, you'll you know? use them. Uh, one pair wore out, actually. And then my dad got me a pair for Christmas that I kept, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I have like my actual running sneakers. Yeah. Right. But two is probably my max that I ever have that are like currently in use, you know? And I definitely let things wear out quite a bit, mm. you know, before I, you know. Yeah. And I think that's part of replace. Know, perhaps, I mean, Christ calls us to to a certain simplicity. No, not not the poverty of the Franciscans, but mm-hmm. as Christians, it's easy. It's very. I think it's very hard to to live that poverty of spirit when you really are surrounded by all the things you wanted. I don't know. That's my perspective. But that, that's well said. Can I just ask Lauren a question? Those two or three pairs of sneakers mm-hmm. are you do you use them for exactly the same purpose, or are they actually different kinds of sneakers that serve different roles? Well, one is running, gym. Mm-hmm. Two are Nike, more casual, can't run in them. They're not like made for that. And then three is, I guess, more of like a walking kind of shoe. I wouldn't run in it either. So like two are kind of the same, but different styles. I think you do have to factor that in because like if you're doing athletics, you might have a pair of shoes that you run in, a pair of mm-hmm. shoes you, you lift weights in, mm-hmm. and then neither of those is just the pair of sneakers you'd use taking a walk. Right. You know, and you use shoes for different reasons. They, they're built in different ways. It's not really three of the same thing. It's just like a generic category we call sneakers, but you're using each one for a different purpose. And so it seems like money well spent because it's also about, you know, protecting your foot. Yep. Um, so I think those things are actually real considerations. Otherwise, I mean, if you're going to do athletics, you have to take care of your body. It would be imprudent to do otherwise. Definitely. I agree in concept, but I think, you know, I mean, I think we can always take that to the extreme because we can always find a rationalization for everything that we purchase, you know? Right. I mean, I I could get every household kitchen gadget when a knife works perfectly fine. You know, it's like all the stuff you see on QVC, right? It chops, it dices, it slices, it does a thousand different things, but wait, there's more, right? And you're like, oh, I need that. Do you really need that? No, I mean, like I can do just as much with a knife. It might take me five minutes longer, but you know, it's also going to save me seventy nine ninety nine. And how many dress shoes do you have currently, Father? Uh, I have three pairs of dress shoes. Have you replaced the ones that leak? <laughs> no, no, I have not. And that's <laughs> okay. So I get criticized this, for that, this one day we met in Norwalk to record, and it was raining terribly, and there was a ton of traffic. It was and not so raining when I left the house. Father Joseph was late, understandably, because he came the farthest, and then he got out of his car barefoot. And so, of course, Joe and I met him, and we're like, why is Father barefoot? I mean, Joe said it. I actually wasn't going to say anything. I was going to be like, <laughs> you were all thinking right, it. he's barefoot, odd, but I'm not going to comment. But Joe did, and then he told us that his shoes leak water. Yeah, anytime. So it's better right. to so be barefoot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or replace the shoes? One could do that, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. There's just there's just something that's uh, freeing about, about not having to worry about a lot of things. And part of it, too, I fully admit... I struggle with being a, a cheapskate. Yeah, that's yeah. not good though. Yeah, definitely that's definitely not. Culture. Yeah. No, but it also allows. It opens up the door to a lot of other things. What do you mean? You know, because for example, um, in the next couple of years, I have to buy a new car. Mm. You know, my car is fourteen, almost fourteen years old, and you know, it's it's doing all right, but it's kind of on its last legs. But because I've pinched my pennies for the last fourteen years, I can pay cash. I don't have to you know, get a financing plan. Mm-hmm. So, like, okay, you know, I've I've shortchange myself on small things so that I can not have to worry about debt. Yeah, future. I agree with that. I 
I've bought my car in cash too. You know, I, I save a lot, but. I mean, it boggles my mind. You know, was, during COVID, people were saying like 60, 80% of Americans were living paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. That boggles my mind. And I know sometimes circumstances, you know, you have to do that, but, but the credit card debt that we all carry. Do we really need who all carries that debt? credit card debt? I mean, we I know really spend all the money we make every every week, every month. It's a major problem, I guess, for thousands of Americans. It is, yeah. Well, it currently, is. are I we guess living you above our means? It's a lot due to inflation, unfortunately. Partly now, yeah. That people exactly. have to pay for the essentials with their credit cards. Yeah, which is that's kind of terrifying. That is kind of think about interest racking up on that, but yeah, I don't know. I guess it is a common problem that people overspend. But I've never understood that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, do you do you make budgets? I'm just frugal in your in your life, or just have a make a mental budget, or like this month I can spend X amount of dollars on. Never. No, you just kind of never kind of wing it. Yeah, but I don't buy that much. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I like I buy things that are on sale typically all the time, especially in the grocery store. Or I shop at Trader Joe's. That's my favorite store now because I live near it, mm. and their prices are generally cheaper than the grocery store mm-hmm. and produce and things. So yeah, I don't eat out really like ever. I don't yeah, buy like either. takeout. I just make tuna fish or like something from the freezer if I'm mm-hmm. in a rush, unless I'm going out with a friend or right. something, Right, or you know, then I will, but yeah, I don't know. So, so people that, you know, often do struggle with kind of spending too much. Do you think there's this underlying spiritual struggle that they're going through is it you know is it maybe trying to fill a void is it just you know greed and materialism is it you know finding their security in things rather than finding their security in god like what's what could motivate that i think it could be all of those things um many people probably are living a shallow life right like lacking a real faith and relationship with christ so they're living for worldly you know status right yeah. Making money, having a lot of things, driving a nice car, dressing well, going out to dinner, spending a lot at dinner, right? That's all shallow. Like that that cannot fulfill you. That's impossible. But people just continue to fill that void, right? I wonder too if there's like a keeping up with the Joneses. Right. Yeah, you see that, that other guy getting escalade. Well, I've got to get an escalade just to show that I'm I'm successful in my business and you know, whatever that is. Definitely. I think I think certainly. Um, I don't know that the the Aristotelian in me um, wants to put the other other side here, just because we're making this point very well. But there is another side to it. There's those who wear, you know, what's the word, lumpy clothing, and it's actually just as much a vice as someone who's spending outside his means. You know, what do you mean by that? You know, someone who just simply has no appreciation of beauty or no appreciation of good quality, mm. um, and then he's quick to say, "Oh, you're just wearing nice clothing because you're shallow." But it might be, no, I'm wearing nice clothing because I appreciate good clothing, well-made clothing, good fabrics, good materials, handmade materials, a store run by someone who can find me clothing that suits my body well and makes me look my best. Um, and, and so the, the, so a tendency not to have good things could well be not a consequence of prudence about money, but just an indifference to how we appear to others, an indifference to beauty, uh, an indifference to a sense of like what your role is. Hmm. Um, like I, as a, you know, as a teacher at Cardinal Comey, right, the students all have to, like the boys, I'll think of the boys, they all have to wear a tie and a shirt and pants. So I consider one of my roles to model how to be a, an appropriately dressed man. doesn't mean that I have $1,000 suits, but I'm going to wear clean clothing. I'm going to replace the shirts when they get weathered, when they get stained, because I'm showing respect for them. 
I'm showing respect for the school. I'm showing respect for Latin and you know, the material that I teach through how I present myself. Hmm. And I don't think we should lose sight of that because that's traditionally why, you know, all Christians wore their Sunday best, right? Is that you bring your best to God. How you sort of exteriorly present yourself is a reflection of your interior life. So I just want to put forward, because you know, right, in Aristotle, right, you always want to seek sort of the middle between two extremes. Mm-hmm. So we can, on the one hand, and this is our tendency in our culture with a lot of things, is to spend way too much money, to spend outside of our means, and therefore perhaps live paycheck to paycheck. But I think a lot of Americans simultaneously are also going the opposite direction the other way. Like you look around and what percentage of Americans wear clothing that fits them? You know, our tendency <laughs> is to wear clothing that's a size or two too big. All that matters is our own comfort. Or sometimes ladies, size or two is too small. Or size too small. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, and I think that's a vice as well. It's just a different kind of vice. But sometimes, no, the appropriate thing is to spend money to present yourself in the appropriate way relative to your station in life. That's a really interesting perspective. I've never really thought about that or heard that perspective that, you know, appreciating the good things that God has created and the talents of others in, in making clothes and appliances and things could actually be, uh, you know, virtue. I think so. so. Where's, where's, the, where's the balance, right? Because, you know, I know Christ says, Christ really emphasizes poverty of spirit. Right. You know, I mean, but poverty of spirit doesn't necessarily mean poverty, poverty. Right. Right. So how can you be poor in spirit when you like and and delight in the the finest fashions and the, the latest technology and gadgets and big screen TVs and uh yeah I, I think it's a difficult question I think it's m- more a spiritual question that then has sort of material consequences than something that begins with a consideration of the material huh. right because even something like this is a kind of a random example but I remember Pope Benedict when he was you know, I think it was, I forget now. It was before he was pope. I'm not sure what it was. Whether he was still a cardinal, what have you. But he drove a Mercedes, he but did. not because he was a priest. You know, who's living the high life. But Mercedes are super common in Germany, and you can get a Mercedes for a much lower price because they're just so common. You can get used ones. It's a nice car, but it doesn't mean he he spent a fortune on it. Mm. Um, so I think you have to consider those circumstances, but begin with um, the inner life. Same thing with money. You know, whatever much money we have, there's always someone with way more. So we look at that other person and say, oh, I can't believe he went out to eat at that restaurant. I would only eat at this lower level restaurant. How yeah. could he spend so much? But if that person's making a million dollars a year, a hundred dollars at dinner is actually proportionally maybe what for someone who makes, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year is ten dollars at dinner. Yeah. Right. And if you make fifty thousand dollars a year, suddenly it's five dollars. So I think you do have to consider those things in relative terms. So I think there's no absolute answer there. Instead, it has to begin with the interior life. Are you attached? Are is your life dictated by these things? Can you renounce them? Mm-hmm. Can you engage in a fast, a little fast, maybe at Advent, a fast at Lent? If you realize you cannot fast from those things then those things are controlling you. Yeah, I think that's one way to test it. I would say in response, three things. Lauren's nodding your head. I think you, you agree with Daniel? Yes. <laughs> I would say three things in response. First mm. of all, you know, tithing is a requirement for Catholics. So, so 10%, yeah, if you're not tithing, then you should not be spending any extra money on this or that. Mm. I think you're absolutely right about the, uh, the, your state in life because for a lay person to go to an expensive dinner is very different than for a priest to go to an expensive dinner. And even though I'm a diocesan priest and haven't taken a vow of poverty, I know tongues have wagged, you know, and there's, there's an old joke that the priests know the finest restaurants in town. That's right. That's right. Because we are blessed. You know, I, I'm very blessed as a priest. There's very little that I have to pay for. I don't have to pay for my house. I don't have to pay for my food. Um, you know, my... My car insurance, health insurance. Car insurance is covered. Health insurance is covered. I just have to pay for my cell phone and you know incendiary, you know, inc- other stuff. Incidental. 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 Yes. Incendiary. Nothing incendiary. Oh. Burning. I think. Yes. Right. Yeah. Maybe you're a cigarette smoker. But. Yeah. <laughs> 
But so, I mean, it's really like very small stuff. So we do have a lot of disposable income, much more so than somebody that has three or four kids. Right. So there's that element with like, well, I need to make sure that the scandal factor is not there, you know, so. That's a very good point. But it does turn people off. It does. It does. Absolutely. And, and um, I don't know, you know, I, to me though, you know, you talk about not being attached to your goods. I just think it's very hard to not be attached when you have them and love them and cherish them. You know, literally everything we want is at on Amazon mm-hmm. at our fingertips. I need, I have two clicks and I get the entire world delivered to me for free. In two days. In two days. If you're a Prime member. In two days. I'm yeah. not a Prime member. I'm, I'm not prime. either. Yeah, our church is a Prime member, so I, I get oh, well. another perk of being a priest. <laughs> Amazon Prime. I can wait, you know, a week and a half. Yeah, I know, right? I'm not usually a urgent buyer. But, but it's just remarkable that, that I think that's, that's something that we always have to be on the, on the guard for, especially this time of year, which is so focused on the material aspect of Christmas, that the interior journey, when Mary and Joseph had nothing, right? They gave birth to Jesus in a borrowed stable. Keeps in perspective, I think. I, I'd like to commend you, Father, because uh, in a conversation outside of uh, this, uh, these shows, you've spoken about tithing, and you, you mentioned something that you've observed. I don't know if this is a general observation or about a particular church here in this neighborhood, but that Protestants have, generally speaking, a greater spirit of tithing, or at least many individual Protestant churches do. Yeah. So you have these churches with very small congregations that, nevertheless, the minister is able to get by... Yeah, observed, right? yeah, I observed it right there. The, the church right next to Cardinal Kung Academy is a Lutheran church. And uh, we had a student uh, here who, who used to belong to that church. And I, I asked her, you know, does your minister have a second job? I'm like, no. I was like, well, how do they support? There's literally like 100 people that come to that church. And like, yeah, we all just tithe. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Right? <laughs> it did amaze me. It did amaze me. Because, there, I mean, you could do so much good for the kingdom by our generosity. You know, a lot of times we're like, oh, yeah, I'm you know, keeping, the, keeping the lights on at my parish. But no, you're actually helping the, the gospel to be preached because otherwise I got to get a job and I, <laughs> I won't be able to run our youth group and do funerals and visit the sick, right? Because if I have to work 40 hours a week, so it helps the kingdom. Why do you think people are reluctant to give as much as they should? Well, I think it's the lack of trust that God is actually going to provide. Trusting God or trusting the parish or the diocese? Um, a large part of trusting God. You know, right, uh, right before this, about an hour ago, I got a text from a dear friend of mine who's a parishioner um, at St. Jude's who said, you know, pray for me. Me and my wife just found out that we are pregnant with our third child. We don't know how we can afford it. And he's, you know, certainly going to keep the child, you know, it's in no way is he thinking about ending the life, but, but it's like, you know, he's, he's really worried, but I'm like, you know, just trust, trust God. And there's a Russian proverb that says, every baby is born with a loaf of bread under its arm. Hmm. In other words, God's going to provide. You know, if we just surrender to him. So, and that's the, that's the truth we got to realize in this Black Friday. As much as we shop, that's not where our hope is going to be found. That's right. You know, definitely shop, without a doubt. You know, enjoy, as Daniel said, the good things. Enjoy giving gifts to others. But never forget that the true gift is, first of all, the spiritual gifts, right? Of praying for others, spending time with others, a smile, acts of service. But ultimately, that the gift is what God has given to us in Jesus Christ, our Savior. How do we enjoy the goods of this earth while keeping our hearts set on heaven that is restless as we continue this week's Catholics Coast to Coast? And if you want to catch up on previous episodes of Restless, you can always check that out. Just go to our Podcast Central section at EWTN.com slash radio. And then, of course, each and every week we get a chance to 
see what's happening in the midst of those conversations. That's going to do it for this week. As we continue our Advents, we'll continue more reflections in the weeks to come. But remember this week to let God define who you are, and I'll see you again on Catholics Coast to Coast.